Hello and welcome to the Cold Bank Podcast. My name is Dale Harper. And this is Nathan Mortensen. And so far, my prediction from last episode that the Jazz would win the first three of this road trip and then lose the Pistons. It's gone good so far, but I hope I'm wrong. I think they have a chance at winning tonight. Um, Last night, I don't know how tired they are from it. You can either look at it as one of two things, that they were really tired, and that's why the second half was super sloppy, or that the second half was super sloppy, which is what I'd prefer to look at it as, but we'll get more into the Celtics game a bit later. Yeah, so going over this week... uh. The Jazz came into this week, and things weren't looking good. They won a really sloppy game against the Wizards, but at least they got a W. And then they went in and they played the Cavaliers first, and that was a game that if we lost, people would probably start panicking. Uh, But we won. It was good. It it was pretty much what you would expect out of a Jazz-Cavs game. More or less, I mean, the offense was clicking just like you'd think, and I'm pretty sure that Clarkson, let's see his stat line, he put up 25 minutes, 13 points, so he might have wanted to have a bit better numbers going back to Cleveland, but I'm sure he's happy with what he had, and then the Wednesday game against the Knicks was pretty good. The Jazz just went in and took care of business. I think the highlight of the game was when they were up by 10 with less than 10 seconds left. And then, who was it? Barrett went and laid the ball up and in at the buzzer. And from what I understand, the line for the game was nine points. (laughs) So the Jazz were up by 10. And so if you had bet on the Jazz, you were solid. And then Barrett, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it's just stat padding at that point, went and laid it up and in. So whoever bet on the Knicks... Must have been really happy that night. His dad bet on that game. I would love to find that out just because we know at some point there's going to be another betting scandal in one of the major sports. And I think it would be hilarious to have it be on the Knicks of all teams. (laughs) And that's why they keep losing is because they're just trying to hit that line right every single night. The, The goal isn't to win basketball games. It's just to beat the line. So... On that line, the Jazz beat the Cavaliers last night, but, and I mean, when you look at it, it's a five-point game at the the end. The Celtics. Celtics, sorry. Beat the Celtics. So when you look at it, it's a five-point game at the end. I mean, that's a bit deceiving. They hit a three-pointer to end the game. So, you know, it's more like an eight-point game where the Jazz consistently stayed in the lead. They got down by double digits in the first quarter came back to make it pretty much even at the end of the first, went into the second half up 13, and then stayed even through the fourth, which was a really low-scoring quarter. I think it was just 17 points, and then got outscored by eight in the fourth quarter, which totally works. It's a win. Um, I went through, and I wanted to look at the plus-minus, which is where I officially just had my mind blown. So Mike Conley... Great game last night, 25 points. He was plus six. Um, Next leading scorer of the starters was Donovan. He was minus 20. Ouch. Um, Rudy Gobert was also minus 20. Royce O'Neal was minus 17. And Bojan Bogdanovic was minus 20. So then you come down to the bench, and George Niang, who scored seven points, 
was plus 23. Bradley, who scored six points, was plus 25. Clarkson, who scored 17 points, was plus 26. And Ingles, who scored nine points, was plus 22. So what this tells me is the Jazz are a lot deeper than the Celtics. And the Celtics starting five are a lot better than the Jazz starting five. That would be my assumption from that. And obviously you rotate players in and it's not just like, okay, starters out, okay, bench lineup out. But the bench players tend to play more against other bench players. And so that would be my takeaway from those plus minuses. It just really blows my mind that you're seeing such a stark difference. Because, yeah, for sure, sometimes you see like a, pl- a minus 10 on the starters and plus 10 on the bench or vice versa. But it's really kind of concerning that it's not minus 10, that it's minus 20 for like just a myriad of starters and what how that's going to impact it. Because you look at it last night, Conley had a great night, but if he doesn't have a good night, hopefully somebody else steps up. But it's just concerning on the Jazz's depth when they're playing in the playoffs. Because last night, either the Boston Celtics sloppiness or the Jazz's defense made this game a win. But had that not happened, this game would have been a loss. What I saw from the Celtics game is that like, I don't think the Jazz were playing really any different than they have been since the All-Star break. It's just that the shots that should have been falling were falling and they weren't, that wasn't always happening the past few games. So I, I think when that happens, it does keep your energy up because when they played to the Celtics last time, if you watch the first half, that was a very competitive half and the jazz started missing some shots and their energy dropped. And then the Celtics just kind of ran away with the game from there. And so I think that's what happened with the jazz here is the sh- their shots were falling. They were, they were probably a little bit more confident coming off of a few wins so that was looking good. Um, obviously, the huge, the huge takeaway from it is Mike Conley played awesome. Like this season, we haven't seen him shoot like that. And what I didn't like, though, even though Clarkson he scored a lot of points, when he was scoring, it was all ISO work. And you see when the when the starters are out there for the Jazz playing, they're passing. They're, it's it's a flow of the offense. Well, when Clark Clarkson's out there, it's more give Clarkson the ball and let him do what he does. I do think that what Clarkson provides is variety in the Jazz's offense, because if you only ha- if the starters and the bench always play the same, then the de- then the opposing team only has to prepare for one style of offense that they're going to see. And honestly, sometimes the Jazz just need points off the bench. I feel like a lot of the time you need cohesive offense from your starters but off the bench you just need points and so what Clarkson is able to provide is almost a solid 15 to 20 points a night off the bench and then you couple that with Joe Ingles and you couple that with um, depending on how good of a getting Moutier's had having you get enough points off the bench for it not to hurt the Jazz and I, what I really think the difference was last night is because there was a stretch in the first quarter when the Jazz got down by around 10 to 15 points, and they were able to get back in it, which in all of the games they've lost, 
before the break in that five-game stretch and the four-game stretch after the break, once they were down, they were down. And they just never got back in it. And this game, they were able to keep their head on their shoulders, get back in it, and then even when the Celtics got back within seven to four points, they were able just to extend the lead. So the one thing that I really saw out of this game was perseverance from everyone who was on the floor of getting back in it and then making sure that they kept the lead the rest of the game. It was a good game. It wasn't high scoring, but that the Jazz, that's not their thing. They just want to win basketball games. So, And holding the Celtics to 94 points, that was awesome. Rudy, he had some really great blocks. But what I was noticing is... Actually, I've been noticing the past few games when you're against a really when Rudy's against a really quick or athletic guard driving in, he has a tough time defending that. I feel like like watching Westbrook go against the Jazz, Westbrook has had an easy time getting into the paint and scoring on Rudy Gobert, and that happened a few. The Celtics have a lot of quick athletic wing players, and Rudy was having a tough time when they were driving in. And a lot of the Jazz perimeter defenders were getting beat off the step. So, One of the problems last night in regards to Rudy Gobert was the whoever the Celtics had on the court as center. I can't remember. It was Thice, I think. Thice is a perimeter center. So Rudy Gobert is always going to struggle against a center that you can put out on the perimeter. At, because then he's going to have to be out on the perimeter. And then there's no help in the center which is definitely where the NBA is kind of starting to go with how you can watch the Mavericks play with how you with how you kind of with how you end up watching what the Rockets are doing right now you know what the Warriors might move to where you just have five out and if it goes that way Rudy Gobert is going to struggle a lot because the Jazz's defense needs him in the paint so that whenever something gets so everything's funneled towards Rudy but once Rudy has to be out on his own, then nothing's being funneled towards him. So anybody else can just get in the paint and then he has a, he struggles with the quicker guards. Do you think that this is something that Rudy can fix and he can adjust? Or do you think Rudy's play style is just kind of how it is? That's what he's great at. And if he were to try to change, he would kind of get left in the dust and wouldn't be as dominant of a center. I feel like he needs to fix it on the offensive end and that involves the schemes that the Jazz end up running. Because if you're playing that five out, he's more likely than not going to have an easier time scoring against whoever's guarding him. So if you're able to make sure he gets the ball in the center, you can make sure that the positive of having those players out on the offensive end counteracts the negative on the defensive end does mm-hmm. that make sense yeah and i've seen maybe not as often this season as i've seen the past couple seasons but like the donovan to rudy pick and roll where everyone's scared of donovan driving and they kind of forget about rudy and he's like seven foot three so he's easy to just lob a pass to which he had an awesome alley-oop dunk last night he did that was that was beautiful i liked that one but I want to see Conley move into more of the general role of the offense. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell is the leader of the team. He He's the one who gives him that energy boost. But I want to see Conley be able to run the offense like Donovan has been running the offense, especially when Conley was out. See more 
Conley to Gobert pick and rolls, and because that, that's an easy way to score when you have a seven foot three center who is good at catching alley oops, and then you have Donovan off the ball who has a pretty good um, percentage on the catch and shoot three, and can get some ISO opportunities to try to go to the board and pass out. So I do definitely want to see Conley more involved. It's such a hard balance, I'm sure, of having Donovan be the primary ball handler this whole season because mm-hmm. of Conley's injuries and trying to switch that. I'm interested if we'll see the Jazz try to do that more in the easier games they have down the stretch, but they also don't have many easy games down the stretch to do that in. So, mm-hmm. And and Conley, he's definitely, he's past his prime. He's, the next few years, he's going to be a really smart basketball player, but he's not going to be giving what he's been given, what he gave to Memphis. Uh, so I would like to see Donovan Mitchell work a lot with Mike Conley and see Donovan kind of transition into more of a point guard role for the remainder of his career, because the Jazz offense really does do great when he's when he's the ball handler, and then the, that would give the Jazz an opening to get maybe a larger shooting guard who can add more. Uh, three-point shooting and defense in the future. And that way you wouldn't be stuck with, you know, players like Chris Paul or Ricky Rubio or who are great point guards. But when it comes to being more than a point guard, they really struggle in those regards. And so I definitely think that with the true center disappearing in the NBA, that the true point guard probably disappeared I mean, a few years back, there's just not as much of a demand for a skilled player who can't shoot the ball, mm-hmm. unless your name is Ben Simmons, and then apparently everybody wants you. So, well, when you're good enough at defense, people are willing to invest more time into you because there's not. If you can lock down the best perimeter shooters, like if he could defend one through four, fine, and even some fives now. So I think that's really where he adds his value. But that I, makes sense. I don't know what, like, you kind of have to plan your whole offense around him to be effective on offense, though. Which is where, when you end up with also having Joel Embiid on your team and one or two other players who thrive inside the paint, there's just not enough. I mean, it's what, like a 15 by 10, I mean, 150 square feet, and you're trying to fit Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and another seven-footer in there. And they have Tobias Harris, who he can shoot threes, but he's not great at it yeah so like the Sixers are the best team who aren't a great shooting team right now I think the Sixers and the Celtics are going to we're going to look back as two of just the most disappointing teams in the history of the NBA because they really got to a point where they should make it to the finals but I think both of them are going to employ implode before they make it there I I think the Celtics Maybe not in the near future, but give them a few years. If if they can keep Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, then with those two in their prime together, then there's... Uh, I see Jason Tatum becoming a superstar and Jalen Brown being a regular all-star, at least for a few years in their prime. So That's just what's so insane about what Danny Ainge was able to do up there in Boston, was somehow build a title-contending team while getting so many just first round picks for the future just to have that talent then and future talent that you can develop and draw on 
is honestly super impressive to see. So that's why I really want to see Boston do well. It's just they've had the past four or five years of just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. So it'll be interesting to see. Since not everybody can win the finals. Um, As a Jazz fan, I know that very well. It's not easy. Most teams only have a small window to do it every like 20 years. And I think it's honestly maybe easier to be the eight seed and just like, woo, we got in and we're going to lose in the first round than it is to be the two or the three seed and just consistently be like, okay, let's let's do this. And then to lose in the first or second round and just... Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Like, when you're the eight seed, you don't expect it. And you're like, okay, this is disappointing, but meh. When you're the when you're a top four seed and you just can't pull it off, or even the five seed, it's just, come on, just do it. You have the talent. It's almost better to be like an eight seed who takes like your first round to a game six or seven than a three seed who's out in the second round. Yeah, that's from an expectation standpoint, that is definitely true. So I really am interested to see since I don't think everyone talks about the Jazz being like in the second tier of the Western Conference right now, with the first tier obviously being LA. And I can see you putting the Jazz in the second year, in the second tier with the Nuggets, maybe the Rockets. The one thing that I feel like you've seen from the Nuggets and from the Rockets is they're just a bit more proven than the Jazz, even though the Rockets have their new lineup. The Rockets have players who have shown they can get it done in the playoffs. The Nuggets aren't the best play weren't the best playoff team last year, but they went in and they won their first round series barely against the Spurs. It was a but like the Spurs. Series. I mean, but Popovich, like you, kind of expect it. And I would put, and I did definitely put a lot of stock into that, saying, okay, they're not as good as everyone says. But then they're coming back and they're having an amazing regular season again. So they're definitely not just like a one-hit wonder. They're coming back and they might struggle in the postseason again. But they're definitely like scary because if they put together the right stretch of games, they're going to beat you. I think yeah, both the Nuggets and the Celtics are both very interesting teams because they have so much talent. You look at the Celtics, they have like... They have Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. There's four amazing wing players right there. And the Nuggets are super deep talent-wise on the wing as well. And the the Nuggets' talent is a little bit younger, so give, give them a few years to develop. But these teams are having a tough time in the playoffs because I feel like it's tough when you know you're good enough to be a star player on another team, but you're coming off the bench and playing 23 minutes a game. So I'm, I'm interested to see what the Celtics are going to do with players like Gordon Hayward when they have to re-sign like Jason Tatum. Are they just going to ship him off and then try to get some good role players coming off the bench? You know, I don't think I'd keep Gordon Hayward if I was the Celtics right now. He just hasn't been super productive there and there's been injuries and other issues but it's really intriguing to see how you can be a star on the jazz and that doesn't transfer to other places which is somewhat concerning and 
it'll just be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, Carl Malone left the Jazz, went to the Lakers, and I mean, still did, still played really well. And he he, he was old, so he obviously didn't play as well as he normally did. But but Gordon Hayward, you expected to be able to go into Boston and just mesh as a piece and be able to go in and provide, you know, 20 points a game as kind of like the se- the second or third best player on any given night. And he hasn't lived up to the expectations they had for him there. There have been stretches where he did, and he has. I feel like injuries have really changed him, and he's he's not the same player that left Utah. That's true. I am really interested what would have happened had he stayed in Utah. I don't think Utah would be as good as they were today because I don't think Mitchell would have like brought the energy that he brought to the state of Utah. Donovan, obviously, if they had been on the same team, wouldn't have seen as much floor time. I mean, the Jazz had just made the playoffs, so that's what they would have been pushing for. Maybe he would have seen more time in the G League. But the Jazz are where they are today, in part because Gordon Hayward left, which is, I guess, an obvious statement. But I think they're better than they would have been had Hayward stayed. And maybe I'm just telling myself that, so I feel better about Gordon Hayward leaving. But well, Gordon Hayward leaving, it, it led to players that most other teams wouldn't have given the chance. Like, Joe Ingles is now who he is today because he had a lot more floor time trying to make up for the loss of Gordon Hayward. And he's developed well. He's still not... He's, he's an interesting player because it feels like every season he hits a drought where he's just not consistent. But most of the time he is, and he plays hard. He plays good defense. And he hit, he hit several big shots last night against the Celtics. I mean, Tatum, I think, still had a good night. But Joe was guarding him beautifully, which is just something that's really interesting to look at when you see just the athleticism of Tatum versus the lack of athleticism that Joe Ingles has. So I'm... I'm really happy. I do think the Jazz keep running into droughts, which really hurts them. And speaking of droughts, the next seven games that the Jazz are going to play are all either in a rough situation or just a hard game in general. We have the Pistons tonight, which the Jazz should be able to win that one. We'll see, though. It's the back end of a back-to-back. But the Pistons don't, they don't have any weapons. ESPN is putting it at 57.5% chance that the Jazz win, which more or less is a coin flip, um, I'm willing to say. And so it just really depends on how the Jazz go into this one. I think they'll walk away with a win because they know that's what they need and they're not going to go in messing around or feeling overconfident. But then we come back to Utah. They get a Sunday off. Then Monday they play the Raptors which is just kind of a scary team. I mean, the Jazz have a 60% chance of winning that one, according to ESPN, which is a bit better than a coin flip. So, like, I think the Jazz can pull that one off. But again, if they lose, it's at least the loss itself doesn't look terrible. How they lose might very well be a problem, but the loss itself isn't the worst thing in the world. From, like... A team perspective but from a standings perspective that really hurts the the Raptors game that's going to be a really fun one to watch because 
both teams are have players that, as far as talent-wise, I feel a lot of other teams look past them. But it's going to be like two awesome coaches against each other, trying to out-strategize each other. And, and both teams, they may not have like the most flashy skill sets as far as out of other teams in the NBA, but both teams, all their players play hard. They want to win. It matters to them. So that will be a fun game no matter what happens. It'll be a fun game. Whether or not I have a fun evening <laughs> is a completely different story. Then the Jazz fly down for a quick trip to Oklahoma City. Everyone knows what's going on with him. Like, no one expected them to be this good. Everyone expected them to be near the bottom of the standings. But Chris Paul came back, and they had, they've been meshing well as a team. So playing in Oklahoma City is going to be tough. I feel like Chris Paul has been out for blood this entire season. So, And no one's taking the Jazz for granted. So the Thunder will come ready to play. It's a game that the Jazz can win. They probably should win, but you never know. And then ESPN gives their next game. They give them a pretty high chance of winning. But it's against it's against New Orleans Pelicans. This will be the first time the Jazz plays. The Jazz will play. Um, you know, rookie of the year candidate <laughs> after playing about less than 15 games, Zion Williams. So... It'll be interesting. ESPN says the Jazz have about a 75% chance of winning. But NOLA is just a scary team to play because they have so much heart and talent. So they have like the perfect mix of young talent. And then, you know, and with Zion, then with some other young players, they have like Lonzo. Lonzo Ball's been playing great. And Zion's amazing. Ingram has been playing out of his mind this season. And then you have veteran players like you know favors and correct me if i'm wrong jj reddick yeah he's still there who just bring a lot of like i don't know exactly what they bring in the locker room but on the floor just bring a lot of straightforward this is how we're going to play and they just make they bring it all back down to earth in a way that has kept the pelicans in playoff contention and the pelicans have been giving good teams tough runs i i think they beat was it the lakers recently the last game i'll have to remember but they they won a close game against a good team i know that the lakers game ended up being like kind of in it they beat the heat close they lost to the mavericks okay, lost so to the timberwolves it was the heat they lost to the lakers but only by eight points so losing to the lakers by eight points as you know and on the bubble playoff team is pretty impressive and zion had just a great night that night too, but LeBron showed, you know, why he's one of the best players to ever play the game. LeBron is still and the that. king. Still the king. So New Orleans should win that game. Then the Grizzlies is the last game this next week. So they have five games this upcoming week and they should beat the Grizzlies. I think I said that the last two times they played the Grizzlies though this year and they lost. So this one's a home game. Hopefully Mike Conley's meshing a lot better and they're able to get the win. But looking at this, if the Jazz go 3-5 and five over the course of their next five games. Or 3-2. and two. or th- Yeah, 3-2. and two. Three of five. Yeah. There we go. So it's not terrible, but it doesn't keep you in the fourth seed or keep you fighting for it. It puts you in the fifth seed spot. 
And then especially when the next two games of not this upcoming week, but the week after is a home and home against, well, an away and home against the Los Angeles Lakers. So being cautiously optimistic, the Jazz will go five and two over their next seven games. Being realistic, they'll go three and four or four and three, which sticks them right back in the fifth spot, you know, and with Oklahoma City fighting for maybe taking the fifth spot and putting the Jazz in the sixth seed. The Jazz can win all of these games up until the the Lakers, and they could beat the Lakers, but that's going to be a really tough one. But Hopefully the, they split. The, I feel like a lot of these games are kind of coin flip games right now. If the Jazz come and show us what they're capable of and they really play to their full potential, they can they can win all these games and be on what what would that be like an eight game winning streak going into the Lakers? Um, I think that would be. I think it would be nine or ten if that, they yeah. So that it's possible, but it's going to be tough. The Jazz really have to stay focused. So pretty much, this is what it comes down to. The Jazz are definitely more than capable of winning, you know, five of the next seven. And if they do, that would really make up for the four-game stretch because this is a lot better than I think, because that would be better than what's expected from of them. They're just going to be exhausted because I, there's a back-to-back in there next week. There's the back-to-back tonight. They're flying around. They have a couple more flights to make. So cautiously optimistic, my guess is that over the next five games, the Jazz will win four. Like, feasibly, I'm going to say that they go three and five from Pistons to Memphis next weekend. If they're going to lose one this week and only one, I, I'd be looking at the Pelicans. They, the Pelicans give the Jazz a tough time, and the Raptors are obviously a good team. So are you going four and one? Yeah, I... I think the Jazz have what it takes. Obviously, it depends on if they execute, but I'd like to see them go 4-1. and one. I think they will. I would like to point out that you going 4-1 and one completely contradicts your prediction last week. I, I realize that. and Because you're now saying they're going to beat Detroit, which I'm fine with. I, I, think, with- I think they will, but we'll see. It's, the Jazz won't be playing all their players, so maybe that will have a factor. Maybe Jordan Clarkson will go off and take over the Jordan game. Jordan Clarkson, 30 points tonight. That happens, Jazz win. <laughs> so that, the, that's the prediction. If if Jordan Clarkson gets under thirty, no way, it's not possible. <laughs> I mean, if Jordan Clarkson gets under thirty, you know, and then Mike Conley, like mediocre player that he is, goes and scores twenty five, thirty points again, then probably still a Jazz win. But I think that's what I'm looking for right now. Just to end the podcast, is the continuation of Mike Conley's excellence because he has been, and so. If we see that, the Jazz will get the four seed and make it to the second round. If Mike Conley isn't able to get up to form, then the Jazz will get the five or the six seed, maybe still make it to the second round, but I'm a lot less confident in their second round um, matchup. I Yeah, I, I agree. Con, Conley's the piece that kind of decides everything. Okay, so... That's what to watch. That's what that is. What we're watching this week, Mike Conley, and we'll see how he's able to do as he comes back and plays some better competition. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Call Bank Podcast. 
Uh, we put out an episode every Saturday, so make sure to tune in each Saturday to listen to what we thought about the past week of jazz basketball and what we think will happen in the coming week. If you have any thoughts, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, at Sports without the O in sports. And have a great week.